Okay, so th- this is a really important graph, and it relates to weirdly to COVID. It's not about COVID, but it's what we actually genuinely in the UK are using to plan the mental health impacts of COVID. This is a, a set of research that Ben and colleagues uh, did back in 2012 about the global economic crash in 2008, 2010. So for the reasons that we know, there are economic consequences of, of the global financial crash, and they impacted on individuals. So what you can see here is how suicide, death by suicide, and losing your job track each other and track each other following the economic crash. Now, you know, correlation and cause and all of that, but most reasonable-minded observers of this would suggest that the evidence is at least strikingly consistent with the idea that following an economic crash, lots of people either lose their jobs or are in fear of losing their jobs, and lots of people uh, either attempt to or sadly do take their own lives. In other words, global and local financial and political circumstances are intimately related to our mental health. There's also other bits of work here about admissions to psychiatric units and use of antidepressant medication and so forth. Mm. I think this is pretty good evidence that following economic downturns, we, we get a downturn in our global mental health as well. Um, Peter Kinderman, I'm Professor of Clinical Psychology at the University of Liverpool, where I've been for, for many years. I was the president of the British Psychological Society, and generally I've been involved with mental health care all of my life. Uh, I started my career working full-time on acute psychiatric wards, uh, moved on to what are called psychiatric intensive care units, the, the locked units for people detained under the Mental Health Act, um, which is what I did, and then drifted into academia, um, continued to work as a clinical psychologist, still work as a clinical psychologist. Good morning, good day, good evening to you wherever and whenever you are, you hero. Great to be with you again. I hope you're having an excellent day. Today we have the second of three episodes in a series that is a discussion between myself and esteemed academic and practicing clinical psychologist, Professor Peter Kinderman. In this episode part two, we are going to be discussing the concept of white knuckling, how social factors such as increasing economic instability are associated with psychological distress. During this part of our conversation, we discuss a couple of different graphs describing this relationship that were put together in a study by Ben Barr and colleagues from the Institute of Population Health in the UK. If you would like to view these graphs yourself, and I would very much recommend you should if you can, it's a great idea, then please check out the links in the show notes and that'll take you straight to it and to the original publication from whence they came. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, fantastic. So what we can see is the the top graph being women, and we see a significant increase in the number of unemployed women and a bit of an uptick in suicides at at that point. However, when we uh, review it for men, when we see the significant increase in the numbers of unemployed men, we see a very significant uptick in the rate of suicide. And 
one of the turns of phrase that you used in the interview that I've heard with you previously with Lynn Malcolm was uh, you described about the very gendered society yeah. in, in which we still live. And so clearly we're talking about the social drivers for mental health to be something like 95% of the actual change that we see. So here's a social situation we're seeing during the GFC. We see a significant increase in the unemployed. So yeah, I mean you're right. The the impact of in this case unemployment uh, does seem to be a little bit harsher on men than women. My my take on that is that this in particular this data came from from the UK, and in the UK both statistically uh, in terms of the working population and also culturally in terms of the cultural importance. One of the things that we have to factor in here is that we're talking about psychological issues and therefore the meaning of these events is as important as the reality of these events. It's at least consistent with the idea that uh, to be a wage earner or to lose your role as a wage earner might be more impactful on men than women for various reasons, both functionally, because if it is the case that more men than women are the sole wage earners or the major wage earners in a family, then it's just a fact that for that family, the loss of the man's employment will impact him more. Right or wrong. There's more expectation. The reason why this is important is that we need to model what's likely to happen uh, for Brexit, which I'm not being commissioned uh, to look at, but I think is important, and COVID on, on our mental health. So when we look at COVID, uh, and one of my roles is to is with many other people, and I'm very junior in this, but to be an advisor to our Department of Health and Social Care uh, about these issues post-COVID is to think, can we make some reasonable science-based hypotheses about what COVID's going to do to our mental health? And there's, yeah, COVID as an infection might actually have a physical effect on us. We've got long COVID. There's um, yeah, some of the post-viral issues. Then there's the issue of a lot of people have been very, very scared about dying. Um, those of us who are clinically vulnerable, COVID is a major threat. Lockdowns are pretty horrible for people, uh, especially if you happen to have seven-year-old daughters who, who need to go through homeschooling, which is basically a form of institutionalised torture for all concerned, to be honest. Um, and then there's changes to working environment, there's social distancing, there's there's a whole load of, of psychological consequences of the pandemic and lockdown. But then you've got major threats to our economy. And if the consequence of COVID, let alone the consequences of war in Ukraine, and in our case, the self-inflicted stupidity of Brexit, means a sharp decline in our economic fortunes, data like Ben's is, is extremely important for thinking what's going to happen. And to be fair, at least some of the politicians, both in the UK and in other places, are aware of this and are thinking we need to take steps now because it might be a little bit tough over the next couple of years. That's it. Okay, that's that's I really appreciate that. Um, also, incidentally, what I- just, to, just to come in, young people too. So um, mm-hmm. young people have had their schooling and universities disrupted and their futures have been quite disrupted. So young people are feeling uncertain, anxious, uh, less than totally motivated for the future. It's quite a difficult time psychologically at the moment. Very much so. Thank you, Peter. 
So what I'm doing is I'm I'm showing some graphs now that uh, bring together these social economic issues along with the um, uh, mental health metrics that we're witnessing. I'm sure you're very familiar with this one. This is from Australia. So this is male suicide. And we're looking at two different sets of data here from 2008 and 2017 as well. And then I've got the same the camel, as uh, or colloquially referred to as, uh, of the the male's uh, suicide over time and then mapped over the top of women's suicide over time. I'm wondering, Peter, what's going on here? Are there these same or similar sort of social drivers that why are we witnessing the peak for men between 35 and 44 and then uh, it goes down? What's going on there? And then why are we witnessing this other massive peak even even much higher, much, much higher uh, at 85 and over? Yeah, I mean, the, the honest answer is I don't know. I, I, I'm not an expert on, on suicide and, I mean, Colleagues of mine, like uh, Nav Kapoor, who's running the the Suicide Observatory in in the UK, would be much better able to speak to this than me. Um, what I would say is that not not just for instinctive reasons or for prejudicial reasons, but because of the things that I said earlier, the 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 things that drive behaviours like sadly suicide seem to me overwhelmingly to be social in nature. So the question for me is, what would make people in their late 20s, early 30s, in a particular jurisdiction, in a particular culture, feel pessimistic and hopeless for the future? And similarly, what factors would make people 85 and over feel pessimistic and uh, um, fatalistic uh, about the future, feel as if they've got nothing to live for? And I don't know, is the answer. My guess would be, however, that what we're seeing in these sorts of statistics are about both relationships and uh, roles in life and people feeling as if they have nothing to live for, nowhere to go, no point. Now, like I say, if I did any more about the situation in Australia, uh, I think I'd be speculating beyond my my competence. What I would say is um, if I was advising how to look at this data and what to analyze. I wouldn't look for brain diseases that mm. peak around the ages of 35 and 85. I would look for social circumstances that are impacting on a sense of optimism, a sense of role, a sense of meaning and purpose for people in, in those age groups. So, so and, maybe we could, could we put forward some, some ideas? So for me, I would expect given the your sentiments around, and mine too, around the gendered world in which we live, where maybe we have over here at the, at the higher end, people are starting to retire. Men are starting to leave their careers. And then they think to themselves, well, what on earth do I even do now? Yes. And they, they lose a lot of their sense of self, their purpose. I mean, this is where things a little bit lead into uh, politics. Um, I've been to Australia. It's a, it's a lovely place. But, you know, Australia has certain social and economic problems. Uh, incidentally, given that it's Australian data, I'd be quite interested in looking at cultural and ethnic background for this, whether the same patterns are seen both in uh, native Australians, who I think have had a very, uh, you know, they've been subjected to outrageous racism uh, over the years, I'd be interested in whether this is reflected in formerly Europe people from from broadly European backgrounds uh, settled in Australia, or whether these are people from the sort of 
East Asian, uh, Far Eastern diaspora. So that would be quite interesting. Mm. Yeah, I would I would probably, and apologies for being political here, I would mm. probably put it down to um, the impact of poorly funded retirement on taking away people's sense of meaning and purpose, role in life, social isolation and so forth in people of retirement age um, and wage slave economic drudgery in people aged 35. When you're when you're 22, you leave university. You want to go hang gliding, have a lot of sex, and do something meaningful in life. Where, as an investigative journalist, you'll uncover scandals that will change politics, and then you realise that putting plastic bottles into plastic bags endlessly in order to make people like Rupert Murdoch richer is probably not a meaningful life. So, but then I'm straying into politics, and I said I wouldn't speculate. So I probably shouldn't. I think I probably asked you to speculate there, Peter. <laughs> I think you're okay. All right, I'm going to... Well, there's, a, there's a quote by a guy called um, Thomas Insel, mm-hmm. who was uh, head of the National Institute of Mental Health in America, uh, commenting on these sorts of issues, where he said that 20 years of research and $20,000 million spent on biomedical research have failed to move the needle in terms of healthcare. I, I think that that's a wise observation. So whatever's going on in the 75-plus group and mm. the 35-plus group, mm. I I would urge researchers and clinicians in Australia to spend only a very small proportion of their research budget looking for brain diseases. And I would mm. urge them to link with sociologists, uh, political scientists, uh, and social psychologists to look at the social circumstances of people in those age groups to try to work out why they're so pessimistic. That makes a lot of sense to me, sir. Okay, I'm going to present to you some economic projections that mm-hmm. I have uh, been researching recently. Um, they're, they're not contentious in the slightest, really, and I just would like to get uh, your two cents on and what you think uh, governments or business leaders can be doing. And um, yeah, just you know, uh, mm-hmm. wax lyrical. I, I just like to hear your thoughts. So I'm just going to rifle off a whole bunch, and we'll just see where where we get with that. So inflation is surging. And real wages are relatively falling in comparison. Um, we're expecting this is in this is all in Australia. Uh, we're expecting big rate hikes and a U.S. recession. And as they say, in the American economy sneezes and Australia catches a cold. Um, so inflation and rising interest rates are pushing Australia as well towards a likely recession. We're expecting well, we're already seeing increasing mortgage mortgage. Uh, repayments as a result of increased interest rates, because that's pretty much one of the only levers that the uh, RBA can 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 turn in Australia to have an impact on the economy. We're also seeing other increases in the cost of living, such as increased fuel costs as a result of a certain psychopath in Russia, and of course, staff shortages as a result of COVID-19 okay. and the flu season, which you're already referencing. And, you know, we're looking at something like north of uh, 500,000 Australians are expected to suffer from long COVID in the next yeah. next few months. So what do you think is going to happen to the global economy in the over the next decade or so? And, you know, what impacts is this going to sustain on men's mental health? Okay, so um, I'm not a political scientist, but, you know, I, I read and speculate. And I, and I guess, like you, I'm interested in the psychological impact of these things. Um, I think it's extremely worrying. In the past when there have been uh, economic problems, 
one of the things that humans in recent history seem to do is they, they seem collectively to choose paths that make matters worse. So in complex, mutually dependent societies like modern states and economies, when there's an economic downturn, people tend to turn to the political right, uh, and that's disastrous. So we've seen that in the UK, where we've had now several years of right-wing governments cutting public spending and hoping that magically, by not investing in anything apart from Jacob Rees-Mogg's um, heated swimming pools, that the economy will, will build. And so you know, if we enter a period of greater recession, I fear that demagogues like Orban and um, Trump and Boris Johnson might manage to lie successfully to the public and gain power. The decisions in terms of cutting services, cutting investment, retreating from a collective uh, approach to both the economy and welfare, I think would be as disastrous as it has been in the past. And, you know, back in the 30s, coming out of economic recession and a shift towards right-wing governments, the situation has been utterly disastrous. So I suspect we probably will have a very difficult time. I hope we don't. Um, but unfortunately, human beings don't seem to be as clever as we would hope they would be, and they, they keep on making the same mistakes. I think if that happens, if we get major recessions and we get a retrenchment by government in terms of mental health, I think it will be disastrous. Mental health, well, certainly in the UK, our health service is underfunded. Our mental health services over the past few years have been getting a little bit more attention, a little bit more funding, and we have had some attention on mental health from social services because, of course, you get the health services, but you also get the social services. So the provisions available to people you know, essentially are funded from, from both directions. And, and we have seen an increase in that in the UK recently, proportionate uh, to other spending. But generally, public sector spending has gone down. If that happens and we get a combination of all of the economic pressures on individuals that you mentioned and a retrenchment of public services, effectively forced back on uh, food banks, warm bank now, banks now, where local authorities in the UK are planning to have rooms available, which will be warm for people to spend time in because they can't afford to heat their houses. We were the sixth richest economy in the world. And we're now thinking about having refuges for people to go so that they can stay warm in the winter. It's just appalling. And um, I think it'll be disastrous. I think our, our mental health will suffer for all the reasons that we've said. And there won't be very many uh, services available and the long-term consequences will be terrible, partly because, as the United Nations says, uh, good mental health is a resource for the community. People are better parents, they're better partners, they're better students, they're better workers when their mental health is good. Uh, I think it's a nasty and unpleasant situation. Uh, and I'm sorry not to be optimistic, but I'm not. Fair enough. Cold, hard truth. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I mean, there is room to be optimism. I mean, I, I think you know, if people were to—I mean, I'm not—I'm not a politician, but if people were to listen to decent politicians, um, you know, we are as a species so successful scientifically that we can pilot a drone with a camera on it to land and then take a videotape of a comet, right? We are, and I'm sorry for swearing, but we're fucking clever. Mm. We also have extended our tendrils 
as a species across everywhere in the, in the globe. We are a really efficient breeding machine as, as, as an organism. We're clever, we're ingenious, we solve problems, we're social. We also have, it's not exactly more money, it's more time really. So money is a, is a means of exchange of people's effort and time. And we're incredibly wealthy. We can employ people to sit in universities and write textbooks on philosophy. We can employ artists. We can employ musicians. We, you know, we can grow enough food and we have time left over to, to have clever people doing wonderful things. So if we were to organise ourselves, we can survive this crisis. It'd be a matter of simplicity. We just tax the rich, nationalise the industries, work collectively and support the most vulnerable in society. Problem is, there's all sorts of metaphors about, you know, uh, the tree thought that because the axe was made of wood, it was was a friend, but no, the axe chopped down the tree anyway, that kind of thing. People, people are selfish and, and mean and vicious. And so we, we, we could organise ourselves out of this and I guess eventually we probably will. But previous economic declines have been disastrous for our collective mental health. This one probably will be too. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. In the next and final episode in this series with Professor Peter Kinnaman, we break down the tangible, actionable changes society needs to make in order to mitigate the worst case psychological outcomes that result from changes to our social environment. This includes increasing unemployment or just increases in the cost of living. We focus on those. Peter describes a roadmap for senior decision makers in government and business all the way down to compassionate and socially intelligent individuals operating at the grassroots community level like you, I'll bet. If you enjoyed this conversation and you'd like to see us produce more content like this, then you can help. To support the work we are doing on Here For Each Other, all you need to do is share it with just one other person. Not asking you to spam your mates, just share it with one person who you think would value it. That's all from me. I look forward to being with you next time. Have an awesome rest of your day.